0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: Every day
2: is an endless stream of cigarettes and magazines. Mm. This is the Conversation Hour. And each town looks the same to me. The movies and the factories. And every stranger's face I see reminds me that I love... Well,
3: homesickness was once listed as a disease, believe it or not, an actual sickness, even with soldiers being listed as dying of nostalgia. But, Eden Hennonen, do we take homesickness seriously now, do you think?
0: Well, listening to that, Rochelle, listed as a disease, and that people actually died of nostalgia. It's hard to believe now that you think, especially in Australia, it's kind of a rite of of passage for country kids to move from the regions into the city. And you just kind of expect it to toughen up and and deal with it and it helps you grow. So, yes, I, I do wonder if we take it as seriously now, perhaps in the age of mental health issues and other things as well. I know a lot of work and we'll touch on this today has been done into the fly in fly out
3: industry and that idea and expectation that you're away from friends and family and loved ones for long periods of time and then you come back for short periods and you're supposed to just readjust and that actually has a a big impact on people. But then, you know, I was also reading that a a Collingwood footballer, I don't know him very well actually, Mark Keane, but he's a, a young Irish bloke and he was really, really homesick. Went home over the Christmas period and then just said, no, nah, that's it. I'm, I'm staying. I'm just too homesick. I've got to stay in Ireland.
0: And I think what you touched on there, especially with FIFO workers in the AFL industry, it's a very male-dominated industry and so sometimes you don't think about men feeling that way perhaps but I did hear a story from my um, partner's brother that he was on a plane home from his first FIFO trip and a guy next to him was looking at photos of his children and practicing lines on what to say to them when he sees them again because it just been that long so it breaks your heart to hear stories like that. Oh my God, I had a
3: complete physical reaction to that. So homesickness, you know, do we treat it serious? Is it something that you've experienced? How does it make you feel? And how do we treat it? Is the only cure for homesickness going home?
4: If we make it all we don't, we won't be alone. This is the Conversation Hour. When I see your light shine, I know I'm home. If you're waiting all your life, Never go. when I see you light oh, oh.
3: Good morning, welcome to the Conversation Hour. My name's Rochelle Hunt and
0: I'm based in Melbourne. And I'm Eden Hennon and I'm based in Bendigo in central Victoria. Now, Rochelle, that song really gives me feels and makes me tear up a little bit, but I must admit, I, I don't really get a lot of homesickness. I've been away and lived overseas for a few years and worked interstate with the ABC and I've missed my partner and friends. But, yeah, look, it's, I often wonder if there's something wrong with my heart sometimes that I don't feel it. Do you get homesick? Is-
3: no so i don't know whether this is just because the two of us are just really heartless people and i have to admit that my girlfriend one of my closest dearest friends a scottish woman who lives in australia who's currently home in scotland at the moment she gets so homesick that, you know, she just needs to see some uh, image of the Scottish Highlands or Scottish mountains or hear some kind of Scottish song or a Scottish accent and she will burst into tears. The love that she has for her country, for her hometown, for her family is so strong and so incredible to witness. I feel really jealous. I feel like, oh, my God, that (laughs) connection. (laughs) So not only am I heartless, I'm this jealous person as well, but to feel that distance. And I know that COVID was really, really tough on her and for her family back home as well. And later in the program, we'll look at COVID and and homesickness as well. So it's not something that I've experienced, but I know it's something that we're going to touch on today, because you've been speaking to, like you were saying in the introduction, it's almost like a rite of passage for regional and rural kids to move from the country to the
0: city. And if you do feel a little bit homesick that, you know, maybe you just have to suck it up and toughen up. And and you're right. I did a story on this last year. As we know, with COVID nineteen, face to face learning at university wasn't happening, and a lot of students moved from the country. Imagine, you know, you're eighteen, nineteen. So I I moved away later on, years later. But I imagine being that young and expecting that whole college experience to make friends when, in reality, you were in your room alone uh, on a laptop doing classes. So it wouldn't have been that college experience that you imagined. So. Uh, we'll speak to one of those students today that, that I had a chat with and see perhaps what's going, going to happen this year. Will, will classes resume? Will things get better? Homesickness, have you felt it? How did it make you feel? And do people take it seriously
3: enough? Or maybe you're just heartless like Eden and I, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Caroline's in
5: Mont Elbert. Caroline, Welcome. Oh, hi there. Um, my husband and I moved to London for his job um, in uh, about six months before COVID hit. And when we went there, um, it was for an indefinite period. And we said we'd come home every six months to see our four adult children. We both had elderly mothers, etc. And then COVID hit and um, we found ourselves stuck in London, unable to get home. And um, yeah, I was homesick. Absolutely. I felt, I felt it even more so knowing that I couldn't get home if I needed to or wanted to. And so, yeah, I had periods um, in the two years that we were there where I just felt really dreadful and I'd have to go to bed and just, you know, go to bed for a couple of days.
0: Carolyn, how do you, for a cold-hearted person like me, how do you um, (laughs) define homesickness? I've had a feeling where I've missed someone at home perhaps, but how would you describe how you felt?
5: Oh, well, I just felt... um, oh really really sad and um just like a heartache yeah a heartache of for home um for people you know my family and my um friends at home but also just um you know, the weather, like for Australia, homesick for Australia as well. Even though I was living in London and, and it was a great experience, um, I just felt, yeah, felt bleak. And um, not the whole time, but, you know, I had moments of it. And like I said, I'd go to bed and sleep it off and then I'd get up and I'd be okay oh. again. But, like it was any illness, you know,
3: you sleep it off. Yeah. And yeah, it's like touched- having. Yeah. You touched on something there that I hadn't thought about and I'd forgotten about this and that's sort of the weather but also the smells. I remember speaking to a man that, and an elderly man and he'd been away from home for a really long time and he didn't realise how much he missed home until he came home and and he smelt smelt eucalypt. He smelt a eucalypt tree, a gum tree, and it broke him. Absolutely. A really yeah, tough yeah. bloke just broke, burst into tears and just had to have a moment of like, okay, I'm home now.
5: Yeah, I've never noticed the Australian landscape as much in my life since I've been home in the last few months. Just um, the you know the gum trees and that that you don't see in England. And um, yeah, I just love the Australian landscape. So I missed that it more, even though I didn't realise I missed family primarily, but then also the Australian um, landscape. I don't think I've missed the humidity (laughs) that we've had in the last (laughs) few days. My friends in London telling me it's snowing, I'm thinking I wish I was there. But um, no, it definitely, um, I think, and you're talking about the only cure is coming home and I've found that that's been the case, you know, now that I'm back home, um, you know, all that's gone. And in some ways, I'm a little bit homesick for London because I made friends and a new life there. But, um, you know, being away from home and not being able to get back i think was difficult my mother-in-law passed away while we were over there and you know we weren't able to be come home and be there for the funeral and with family and you know but everyone in that yeah. situation with COVID. so anyway yeah i'm glad to be home thanks caroline for the call let's go to peter now in hastings peter
0: you're a fifo worker and you had to leave uh, your family what was that experience like
6: yeah well i found you know it was a bit of a novelty in the beginning But I found, once being away for um, 28-day stints, away from your family, during this time, you're on buses in and out of sight. You're queued up for breakfast. You're queued up for dinner again. You're also queued up to go and get your um, your meals for your, your lunches and everything, meals at work, and then, obviously, mucking around at the airport. But I found, by the time I went home, you wanted to catch up with friends and do this and do that. But I actually didn't feel comfortable about leaving my home. Um, I'd, you know, I'd go outside, but I wouldn't want to leave my house block for maybe two to three days after getting home because I just needed some isolation from people after being, being among, among crowds for so long.
0: That, that sounds like the opposite of what people would expect when you want to go home, you want to go and see people again. But was it just a really confronting experience for you being away with that many people at one time?
6: I just needed my own space in the end. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, I always thought about, um, you know, and you'd see on Facebook and you'd talk to friends and whatever, everyone's doing this and doing that. But when you got home, in reality, I just needed my own space for a little while after being, you know, meals, um, you know, breakfast, dinner, everything is all queues and queues for the, at the airport and, um, you know, to and from and, and such and such. And I just life. needed, I just needed space. Yeah.
3: Peter, it's so interesting. Thank you. And we'll speak to more fly-in, fly-out workers a little later. And we've done entire programs on this, Eden, on the Conversation Hour before. And Peter touched on that just then where it's almost like getting back into civilian life, like there is your work life. And there's always these sort of references to almost like being a a soldier to a certain Mm. degree in that how you live and how you operate is so different to everybody else and how what everybody else's normal daily structure looks like that
0: you do need to readjust when you get back into everyday life. I had that um, when I was living. I lived in Japan for about two and a half years and the lifestyle and culture there was just so different to here that when I did come back, it was a real very odd adjustment So I do understand in a way what that was like trying to readjust into society, let alone having a missed family and missed out on, you know, certain events and things. So, Mm. yeah, I, I, I understand that a little bit. A teacher from Doreen
3: has sent us this message and I've only just started talking about this with my girlfriend because my daughter's going to go on her first school camp this year and I'm sure she'll be fine. But we started chatting about how, well, there's going to be kids guaranteed that won't be okay and that will miss mum and dad or, you know, that their parents at home. There's a text here saying homesickness is tricky on school camp, even high school. Our calling home can make it worse or better. It's always good to check in first. Don't offer a phone call as your first line. It's a really difficult one to manage, so school camps. But let's have a chat to uh, Brianna, Brianna, who you spoke with uh, late last year, Brianna Condidi, moved from Shepparton to Melbourne for university. Brianna, welcome to the Conversation Hour. Was it all that was cracked up to be when you moved from Shep to Melbourne?
2: No, it most definitely wasn't. So I moved from, obviously, Shepparton to Melbourne expecting the whole big uni experience you know make lots of friends you know do lots of classes in person but when I got there I had one class a week in person and the rest of the time was spent in my room at my laptop.
0: And I imagine that's not something Brianna that you expected your college life to be like when you left high school. No it definitely wasn't what I expected. And how did you go Uh, did you meet friends in the dorm rooms or were you kind of isolated on your own in your own room?
2: I did meet a couple of people, but I wasn't really able to find a good connection with them because we couldn't really spend much time together due to like COVID restrictions and such.
0: And so how long did it take, you know, you doing classes for a while and you didn't stay on campus very long, did you?
2: Uh, No, so I was on campus just for the semester one. Then after that, everything went online for semester two. So I just came straight home. It wasn't worth it.
3: Gosh, you had the added, I mean, there's homesickness and relocating and trying to readjust and doing everything like that, Brianna, but then you had the added element of COVID as well. You know, when people talk about, there's a few texts here that have said, well, homesickness isn't an illness. You know, illness has to be something that's classified. Would you say that when you felt homesick, that it felt like an illness? Does that make
2: sense? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I definitely missed home while I was at uni, but I knew that I could just call my family or FaceTime them so I didn't feel like completely alone, I guess. Um, And I honestly, I drove home a lot of the time as well, so I was like feeling okay about being in Melbourne because I knew that every second week or something I'd come back home to Shep to see my family and to go to work and see my work friends.
0: And Brianna, it's a new year, COVID obviously is still around. What are you expecting this year? Are you going to go back onto campus?
2: I will be going back onto campus, so hopefully it's better. It's looking like only lab classes in person at this time, but praying for a better semester too.
0: (laughs) It sounds like there's, um, I've spoken to a number of students, including you, Brianna, who are in a similar situation. And Rochelle, leaving high school and going into the college experience hasn't really been what it's cracked up to be for a lot of students and really missing out on that, that college experience that, that I enjoyed. Did you have a similar one? I moved from home,
3: I'm I 17 and moved into a shared household as opposed to that college experience. And I don't know about you, Brianna, but when I did meet friends who lived on college, it looked like a scene at a dead poet society or something where <laughs> I was like, you know, this the college experience is a very, very different experience to having a, a shared household. So did it feel like not having that connection? I guess even just with friends that you were... Uh, I guess just your day to day sharing your day to day life with
2: yeah, well, I was just in a one bedroom sort of room, so i didn't really see anyone or anything like that. I just stayed in my room um, uh, yeah i didn't really connect with other people
3: well, hopefully it's something that hasn't affected you too much and that you'll be able to continue your studies is you feel confident that you'll you'll continue on with your studies
2: yeah I'm definitely going to continue. I enjoy doing it, so
0: I've got to keep going. Well, Brianna, thanks for your time today, and I hope this semester is a little bit better for you and you can get back out and, and meet some people while at college, but appreciate your time. That's right, Thank you. Uh, Rochelle, we've got a text here that's breaking my heart, reading through it. It says, I remember heading off to Darwin with my partner back in the day. One month on, I couldn't stop crying and I didn't know why. Reality had set in and I missed my mum so bad. It did pass, and her letters and... Uh, Recipes kept me going. That's Sam in Southwest Victoria, and another one coming in saying, "I left for the city from Country Victoria many years ago on the train. Remember waving happily to my mother as she ran down the platform after the train in tears. Oh dear, my poor mum. Having my own children has softened me up a bit." From Helen, and I I don't have a child yet, but I know that that you do. And you said your daughter was going off to camp shortly. You will cry at the drop of a hat
3: <laughs> like, seriously. I mean, this is the thing. We may be heartless and not miss our hometowns, but I'll cry on every Qantas commercial, uh, every Johnson & Johnson commercial, and even just listening to those texts. Then you have a, have a physical reaction, don't you? But... What I found interesting is listening to Brianna talking about FaceTime and being able to drive back home, but then that text saying, you know, writing letters. And that's the other thing that's come into homesickness and how we manage it or how we cure it is, I wonder whether technology does help us here or if it makes us feel worse. You know, even when we heard from our caller earlier, the fly-in, fly-out worker, looking on Facebook or whatever it may be and seeing what other people are doing. So it can connect us, but then it can also show us what we're missing out on
0: but then listening to your introduction there about uh was it people heading off to war and dying from loneliness i wonder if the lack of technology and those letters that maybe would come by every few months or so really impacted them more harshly because they couldn't see their face on a facetime on the Mm. phone or, or pick up the phone and have a chat so i wonder yeah which one makes it worse no, I still remember my nan talking about the letters she'd re-
3: receive from my pa at war and waiting for them. But then, you know, bits will have been crossed out, you know, because you know things weren't allowed to have been said. And it's fascinating when you think about those letters and correspondence. Let's have a chat to Juliet. She's in Brunswick. Good morning, Juliet. What did you want to say,
7: Rochelle? Hi. Yes, actually, I'm in Fitzroy, but we have a we have a little not for profit college that was set up over 20 years ago now, specifically for. Um, kids coming to Melbourne for uni from the country, from rural and regional Ah. Australia, just to create that community so they didn't get lost, so they didn't feel so homesick. So Um, creating a homely vibe for them? Totally. So they live in share houses, but we get them together for dinner every weeknight and we have, you know, postgrad students who work with us who mentor them basically, you know, we organise tutoring and that sort of thing. Um, And it's been so good. I love seeing the kids when they first arrive, and they're often so tentative and unsure. And it's just so lovely to see them settle so quickly because it does. I know what it's like to live away from home. I went to college in from the
0: country. And what did you notice? Was there a, a trend with a lot of the students that would come down? Did most of them get homesick? Did some blend in quite quickly and adapt? Or what? What did you notice?
7: Yeah. Some more than others, so some blended quite quickly. What we do find is that when they've had a gap year, they're often a bit more independent, so they've been away from home, although the last two years has been really tricky for that. Um, but if they've spent time away from home at all, they often find it much easier to adapt and to fit in in that way.
3: But Juliet, there's no sort of rhythm to it, I think. I managed to somehow bring everything back to food in my life. <laughs> and I can <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> But I could imagine that the idea of sitting down and being able to share a meal, a home cooked meal, something that you've cooked, being able to share that with other people, and even maybe when we're young, we think we wouldn't think about food and missing mum's cooking or dad's cooking or what, you know, whatever it may be. But that idea of being able to share a meal with someone must oh. make them feel connected. It's so powerful, and, and we find, I
7: mean, that's what creates community is getting together every evening, even if it's just for half an hour. Um, We have a wonderful caterer who actually talks to the students and asks for the meals that they miss from home and then she tries to create them for them, you know, and asks for their special birthday meals and that sort of thing and cooks them for them. And it is such a powerful thing. I think you're right. I mean, food and gathering around food is one of those really comforting things. You know, even if you're not contributing to the conversation because you feel sad, you're at least gathered with people who will pick you up and then, you know, carry you forward. So it works really
0: well. Well, that's lovely to hear, and it's good that you were a, a kind of support for the students that did come to Melbourne, Juliet. Thanks for the call. We might head to Rachel now in Hampton. Uh, what did you want to say, Rachel? Well,
8: um, I love this question. I was 20 years in France, um, left at 21 and came back at 41. And for the first 10 years, I was very homesick. And um, I did—I couldn't always get back. I didn't always have the money, and I'd find that calling home helped Um, bringing silly little things like redskins and dumb things from my past helped. Um, But what really helped me, funny, people used to ask me if I felt uprooted and I didn't really understand what that meant until we bought a place 10 years later and I started gardening. And I quite literally put my roots in by planting and playing with the dirt and things like that, and that really helped me with my homesickness. It was the strangest thing.
3: And is that because you felt more connected to where you were living or were you planting things that reminded you of home? What was it about the, the earth yes. that made you feel connected?
8: Actually, both. I, I planted eucalyptus. I planted I planted things from home. Um, um, but I think it was also that I felt that I, something belonged to me there. You know, I think there was that sense of ownership as well. Um, but there's something very grounding, quite literally, <laughs> about about having your hands in the dirt and knowing that it's yeah. your dirt.
3: Yeah, it's so beautiful. Thank you. I I really love that story, Rachel. Thank you. Oh, Eden, there's a text here. You know, we talk about how serious do we take homesickness now? You know, do we treat it like an illness, like a disease, however you want to label it? There's a text here saying, I'm 62, but I remember being at my first guide camp about age 14. I was so homesick that I must have played up. It was pouring with rain and the guide leader made me dig all the trenches around the tents. Mum and Dad eventually had to come and pick me up.
9: And that idea of
3: just, you know making that call or the teacher or whoever it may be saying i think you've got to come and pick up eden you know she's not coping we well. tried
0: everything she's not doing well you know she's too she's sick i feel sorry for this person too because they saw that maybe he was playing up because he was homesick and they made him dig trenches all around the tents <laughs> so i think i'd want to go home as well
3: <laughs> <laughs> but you know 62 and remembering something from when you were 14 We'll talk COVID and fly-in, fly-out workers in just a moment, but let's have a chat with Hannah uh, Calino. Or Cal- Calcino, if I pronounced your surname correctly, Hannah?
10: Calcino. Um, You've got to have a bit more Aussie-bogan
3: with it. Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 well, you're with two Aussie-bogan, so don't worry.
10: <laughs> now, you're the Student
3: Wellbeing Coordinator at the boarding school at St Margaret's in Queensland, and you noticed homesickness to the point where you wrote a thesis on it. So what constitutes homesickness, do you think?
10: Yeah. Um, I think homesickness, I mean, as we've heard um, throughout your program today comes in so many different forms and it is that, um, homesickness traditionally was known as nostalgia. So before they called it homesickness, they would just, they would just call it nostalgia. Um, and obviously we're all familiar with what that means and it, it is very similar. It is just that, that sick feeling in your stomach that you get when you are away from somewhere that you identify as home and, um, for many of us that have travelled a lot, that might not always be where we were brought up, but it might be where we, where we leave
0: our hearts. And that was an interesting point there. That's why I wonder maybe if I don't get homesickness as much because I have travelled around so much since I was young. But do you think, is it often a place, where, how do we relate to, to home, as, as you just mentioned? Where do students um, get that feeling from? Is it from their childhood memory or is it where they're currently living? Where, where do you notice this? I
10: think um, for the students that I work with, and majority of which are rural residents, um, for them it's because they've come from this tight knit community, and they come from a place that typically has always been theirs. And it's you know for some of them it's generations of generations of their family living on the same property, and it's they have this real strong sense of who they are and where they belong in their community. And so when they move to boarding school. They are very much uprooting that and they're moving to this new environment that physically looks very different, but also emotionally and socially is very different as well because it's it's so different to where they've come from and they don't know many people and they don't, it's a different environment and it's just all these contributing factors that then result in homesickness.
3: I'm wondering how... You help treat homesickness. You know, we were saying earlier that the only cure is going home. And if you're at boarding school, you can only do that at certain periods. There's an interesting text here from Clinton Warnable that says I took a year off to travel as a 27 year old after spending three months in North Africa. I arrived in the middle of the UK, staying with family and friends. All of a sudden, a weight of sadness overcame me for a few days. I didn't want to get out of bed. I was in a really depressive state. My partner suggested that I catch up with a good mate in London and go for a surf. Within a week, I was back to my positive self. I think a combination of not having purpose in my day to get up or having something to look forward to from my travel experience um, couldn't have been richer and just looking at those differences, I can't wait now. Is it about finding different ways to be able to treat uh, homesickness depending on the individual?
10: Yeah, absolutely. It's about, um, you know, having intentional interventions and um, knowing, knowing your students well enough that you know that when they're going to get homesick. And so for some of them, it's right when they come back at the beginning of term or it's in week seven or week eight of term when assessment starts to pile up. And um, I suppose it's very much um, similar sentiments to what Juliet just mentioned about the community and building a community. And so I would say our two main go-tos in um, boarding schools is we want to build a positive community, um, which includes, um, in my case, I work in an all-girls school, ensuring that girls have... In the younger years, they have mentors and they have leaders and they have a a whole range of people that they can look up to and feel like they belong in our boarding house. We do that through, um, we have a beautiful festival at the the first weekend in semester two called See My Difference, See My Worth. And it's about celebrating the differences of the cultures in the boarding house and how we come together as one. And then the second thing is keep them busy. Whether that's lots of sport, in um, as a, my advice to a parent sending their child to boarding school is insist that they participate in at least one extracurricular activity a term because when they're busy, they aren't thinking about home and they're developing connections that are going to help them feel like they belong where they are.
0: Well, thanks so much for your time and the conversation our Hannah. It sounds like a lot of people don't often get the support when away from family. So it sounds like those girls are really, really good hands. We appreciate your time.
10: Oh, thank you very much. It's an honour to be able to help them. Thanks.
0: And, Rochelle, I think I was just having a think before when uh, I think I can't remember what, what the discussion was earlier, but it did remind me of a time when I would say I did feel homesickness, and it was I was working in the Gippsland office with the ABC for a while, and living in Victoria. And I went across to Tasmania to do uh, my rural traineeship over there. And that was the time when the summer bushfires happened in Gippsland and Victoria. And I remember watching what was going on there. That was the time that actually I, I felt a real longing that I, I should mm. be back there with Victorians. So and that had was that something- connection. Yeah, it's that interesting was something.
3: The amount of people that have connected with Rachel who rang before and said I didn't feel connected until I planted something and not only did mm. it make me feel grounded as into my new home but I was able to plant something from my old and lots of people talking about plant a tree you know or plant something get your hands in the earth and i that's taken me by surprise I would mm. never have thought of that as being a solution but it's a really interesting one Coralie's in Clayton
11: what did you want to say? Uh, Being a former international student advisor for a lot of years, it was the homesickness, the terrible homesickness of young students. And uh, I got to know a student leader. And what they did was that some of the the willing and older students all formed together so that when the younger ones were very distressed, they would go to them and comfort them. Uh, as the student leader told me, he said sometimes you're just so tired and it's three in the morning but he said you always go because he said there's, you know, a young kid there sobbing their heart out. And even later on, um, with say fourth year engineering students who'd been there a lot of years some of them used to sort of meet me in the garden on my as I was making my way home to tell me how much they missed home and how much they missed their mother putting the hot food on the table. And what Very, what was the way that you were able to comfort them? Well, it was the senior students did that and uh, they it, it took it all upon themselves and they joeied up and comforted one another Um, there was um, as an advisor there was little that one could possibly do except try to make connections of course Yeah. and food I mean again
3: that connection of food has has come up in this Coralie thank you so much Astrid is in Ivanhoe good morning Astrid
4: good morning how are you (laughs) Good. What did you want to say? It, well, it's a really um, interesting question. It struck me wide. I was driving, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I have so much to say about homesickness." It has been a really interesting experience in my life. I never thought I would feel that. Lived overseas for as long as I can remember, but since being in Australia, my partner is Australian. I have had so much, so many periods of terrible homesickness, and it's hard to overcome. And the two things that helped is keeping busy and gardening. I can only say that it's uh, um, true. And Astrid, what was it
0: that? What is it that you miss about home?
4: Oh well, the pandemic was the hardest part because we always planned to go a little bit back and forth once a year, um, as we have a son who is both Australian and German. And but then the pandemic hit, and my mom got really sick. She um, um, developed a brain tumor and. So I was able to go, but only by myself. And as soon as I touched ground at home in Berlin, I was like, this is home. This is, oh. I feel different. I feel understood. I'm home with my family and my sisters and my mom. And it's, a, it's I feel like a different person. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah.
3: That's fascinating. Astrid, thank you so much for sharing this text. I'm a psychologist in Mount Eliza. I see many people with homesickness and it manifests in many different ways. We generally help people by using the same methods methods we use with grief and loss. Grief is a big part of this and it's separation anxiety. Thank you. That's from Jennifer. That's an interesting but, take on that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It really is grief and loss. So is that a way that we treat it? Is there a cure for homesickness other than going home? We make it all we don't, we won't be alone This is the Conversation Hour When I see your light shine, I know I'm home And that's one of those songs that maybe makes us feel not quite as heartless as we thought we were, Eden, because it does make us feel all the feels. We're talking homesickness today, everything from country kids that moved to the city for school, for high school or for university, through to many of us that have been separated from family because of COVID. But then fly in, fly out
0: workers or just relocating for work is a big part of homesickness as well. And yeah, that was something that I found quite interesting. As I said earlier, I spoke to my um, partner's brother who's been a FIFO worker for a long time and just hearing the stories that he said that he had with friends over there and even himself working over in WA, but he made a good point in saying not just the workers over there, sometimes the partners that are left at home in the home space alone that it's really tricky for. So it's, you know... Sometimes we often don't think of that side of things. So people who are away are sometimes quite busy and doing things while the person's stuck at home, which I thought was interesting.
3: Mike Fairhead is a fly-in, fly-out senior superintendent for civils projects in WA. Mike, welcome to the Conversation Hour. How many fly-in, fly-out workers are dealing with homesickness, do you think?
12: Uh, I would say it'll be a fair few, but people, especially males, try and hide that side of their life. Um, definitely i've worked up here for 13 14 years and over that time i've i've probably seen a handful that have admitted to having homesickness but uh it doesn't mean that it's not there
0: and when you say a lot try to hide it what are the signs that you you do notice it in some of the workers
12: uh it's obviously their attitude out in the field you can tell when people are having a and not an off day so to speak so there's there's ways you, you obviously got to approach those those people and um see if they need to have a day off or if they do need to go out. Um, what One of the biggest things I was taught as coming up as a, as a leader is you can't approach every situation like you would as a football coach and try and go hot people because you don't know what's going on in their personal lives if they've got family issues and things like that off-site.
3: How much does technology help or hinder homesickness when you're <laughs> away from, from here? I know it's tricky, isn't I it? Would,
12: yeah, I would say it has its pros and cons, so... I mean, when I started up here when I was 20 years old, Facebook was coming out and stuff like that. And I remember the roster was four weeks on inside and a week off. And after a few swings, I ended up um, having to get off Facebook because of a time when all my mates were going to music festivals and 21st birthday. So it was kind of the FOMO, the fear of missing out. But I guess... On the other side, as as technology's grown with um, WhatsApp and and FaceTiming, it's it's probably helped a lot of families out to stay in touch visually and and see their families and kids through that avenue.
0: And, Mike, another thing that struck me, speaking to someone, a a FIFO worker, earlier today, he said that sometimes the issues... um, sometimes workers feel it more when there are issues at home. So if there's, you know, money stresses or relationship stresses, that can kind of compound things when they're away. Whereas I thought it would be the opposite. Once you're away from things, you don't really think about it too much. Is that something that you noticed with some of the workers?
12: We have noticed. And, you know, it's a it's a bit of a up and down situation with, you know, coming and working away, FIFO, you're earning big dollars, but that, that goes with the sacrifice of not being home and seeing your family. So some relationships do strain because... They want the nice house, the kids to go to the good school, but it comes with that sacrifice that, you know, you'll be away from your family for that time to get those those pleasures in life.
11: We
3: heard from a a fly-in, fly-out worker earlier, and he said that when he does get home, even though he thought he would want to get out there and see his mates and his family and catch up with people, he actually couldn't readjust that well and needed a few days to almost decompress or to readjust to civilian life in
12: a certain way is that common Um, i've not heard that too much but i can probably understand uh, where that person's coming from because it it is very um monotonous up here and in what you do you you wake up and you go to the mess and you go to work and and you just do that repetition for two three weeks depending on on what swing you are so it does take time to definitely adjust when you when you go back on break and and come back to reality so to speak
0: and are you still working as a FIFO worker now in, in WA, Mike?
12: I am. So I am at, I'm actually from Brisbane, but I've been stuck over here for seven months now on the, on doing this project. So uh, it's starting to wear down as well. I'm actually single, but it uh, does wear down. The fact, you know, I've got a brand new ute sitting at home that's not being used and, and wanted to go adventuring and things like that. So, um, yeah, it does definitely take its toll.
0: So it's been seven months since you last spent time at home.
12: Yeah yeah it is. and I only moved over to Brisbane. I was WA based. I only moved to Brisbane probably a month or two before COVID hit back a couple of years ago. so uh, probably not the best move, but hindsight's always a good thing as well.
3: And, and how long are people separated from family or just from their home life? because I guess it's irrelevant. You could be single and be missing friends or parents or whatever it may be. but how long can people be separated for?
12: So with the COVID situation, one of our team members was away from his family for 12 months. He's, he's based in New South Wales, so, uh, but he runs his own business. So it was sort of for the greater good that he, he ended up staying here. But he, he finally got back at uh, Christmas time um, and just bit the bullet and, and got home to spend time with his family.
0: Great. Well, Mike, Ferd, thank you for, for your time in the country. I hope you get to go home soon and that those seven months no <laughs> are all worth it. Thanks for your time.
12: Thanks a lot. Cheers.
0: Uh, Rochelle, I mean, this is totally different, but, I, you know, Michael was just talking then about missing out on important events and going on Facebook and seeing it was someone's engagement. Or I remember missing out on those things, um, and it would be tough, and especially if that was your full-time job for, for years on end, missing those important events, what kind of effect that might have yeah. later on for, for those workers? Absolutely. Peter's in Bansdale. Peter, listening
3: to this program, I dare say you could probably relate to a lot of the issues
9: yeah yes there's um a lot of this conversation has been happening for a long time in um particularly in the military um with the recognition of the separation that people feel from their from their space from their place uh in the military where they are moved around all over the country and then deployed overseas and families are left in um, isolated places without normal supports and stuff like that so there's been a lot of development of um processes and policies within the military over the years um i go back to the time of the, the gulf wars and deployments to east timor and things like that where people were uh at the drop of a hat were sent overseas for four five six months and the families were left in bases um far from their place of origin their families of origin and and their normal supports and uh A lot of the psychological services and social work and chaplaincy services at that time did a lot of work in the development of new policies and on um, supports on the way families particularly were supported in those type of circumstances. And
0: you talk about the developments over the past few decades. What what advancements have they made? Has it improved situations for not just the, the, the person in the military but the family back at home?
9: Yeah, the, the the there's a lot more credence given to the idea of um, of community community networks and community supports. Um, that the, the the life of a soldier or a sailor or an airman is is not just the military. That there's more to life than yeah. um, that time. Um, Gosh, there's
3: been a lot of work in that area, hasn't it? And, again, that's that readjusting. And it takes us back to the beginning of the program, you know, where we spoke about, and a lot of this was referencing, you know, uh, the Civil War in America, but uh, soldiers dying of nostalgia. And I wonder too, Peter, thank you so much for your call. I wonder too, Eden, whether when we talk about dying of homesickness, whether we hadn't then learnt what depression looks like, what anxiety looks like, and whether we would now would probably seem a bit silly to diagnose someone with homesickness, but we would say, you know, you've got extreme separation anxiety or, you know, you're in a depressive state. So the symptoms are the same, but we just have different ways
0: of labelling it now, maybe. Definitely. And I do wonder if there is a slight difference in in what, you know, general depression or anxiety is compared to that longing for home, because we're hearing from all of these callers today yeah. about that specific feeling that they get, you know, the smell from home and, and yeah. certain things. I wonder if, they, they are labelled as different things or whether, you know, they are intertwined in some ways. And that moment from that caller, you know, when she
3: stepped foot on Berlin, you know, when she mm. stepped on home soil, it's really, really powerful.
13: Shirley's in Moama. Hey, Shirley, what did you want to say? Oh, hello. Good morning. I oh, just bring so many memories back to me. 46 years ago, my husband and I went to Arnhem Land and Ken um, was, was employed by the Methodist Church and we were on an Aboriginal, uh, you know, mission. And I was 23 years of age and I had a baby and I just found out I was pregnant with a second one on as we left. And um, I thought, oh, I'll be right, hoo you know, it's by mum and dad. Anyway, the homesickness was unbelievable. We had no phone service at all. We only had a VHSF radio that we... Could get to the main uh, to the aisle and talk to, and we used to send. Would you believe tapes? We used to tape conversations to our families, like cassettes. Back and yeah, that's yeah, that's how we you know and oh, yeah and letters that. and I just never thought. Oh, look, if anyone says they're homesick, homesick, believe them. It's just the most. It just it's overwhelming the feeling of being homesick. Shirley, I wonder, have you kept those tapes and listened to them
0: back oh, years on? No, I didn't. <laughs> I know I'm annoyed. Be quite emotional, I imagine, if you, if you listen
13: back to it now. Oh, it was, and yeah, you know, we've been back up to Arnhem Land over the years, and um, to visit, you know, the, you know, the local people there, and uh, but just yeah, that homesickness was unbelievable. There was only seven white people where we were, and all the rest were, you know, Aboriginals, you know, and. Um, it was an incredible time, but I, I lasted two years. I just had to come home
3: had to come um, home that's
13: it that 's the only qr what Shirley thank you
3: Shirley mentioned their tape, and I could imagine you know hearing someone 's voice, the power that that would have, and then we also you know, heard from a psychologist on text earlier saying that you treat this in the same way you treat grief and loss. Mm. And it's funny, and I hadn't thought about this. My mum died 10 years ago this year. And there's little bits of video of her that I still cannot bring myself to watch. I just can't, I, I couldn't bear... Being able to hear her voice, and because the grief would be just too intense. Mm. But when you're using it in the opposite way for homesickness and being able to hear someone and hear that voice and that connection, that's lovely to be able to. To and I guess that's why voice memos are kind of coming in trend at yeah. the moment
0: as well. But even what I think you touched on it a little earlier. Sometimes letters that people would send back from war that have been scrubbed out and personalised, and you write new sentence again. You can see that the the um brain function that's been happening in their thought processes that really personalizes it and gives it that sense of them i think which is absolutely Mm. jill stark author mental health advocate jill you have spoken very
3: publicly uh on social media all different platforms about how COVID has affected you and so many of us uh with homesickness you've just recently returned from home finally but how did homesickness affect you physically and emotionally
1: yeah, well, I spent the first 25 years of my life in Scotland where I was born and my family are from and I moved here, as many do, for for love 20 years ago and I always just took it for granted that then my family were 24 hours away in a plane ride and, um, you know, I think that the human brain can survive anything if it's for a finite period but the uncertainty of COVID and just the borders being closed and indefinitely has been the hardest thing, because it has been, as one of you said, like a living grief. It's a dull ache. It's it's visceral, and I would be watching the reunions when the interstate borders came down um, last year. I was watching these reunions. I had to turn the TV off, because I couldn't deal with the airport reunions. It was so painful, like you could actually feel it in your body, missing your family to the point where it feels like there was just a part of my soul was missing, And, and it was, you know, being able to go home To Scotland for Christmas I've just come back from six weeks there was was like as I say a piece of my soul being mended and I I felt so grounded and so you know looking out at Edinburgh and the city that raised me and just feeling like you know that my batteries had been drained to the bottom after two years of of this and just being able to wrap my arms around my mum and dad was just the most profoundly moving experience.
0: And Jill, you touched on something there about um, that that idea of hope and it being a finite period of time. And I saw it with some friends, even with family, that they couldn't see back in Perth, um, that they had that hope that they were going to see them. The flight was booked and then the borders would close again and you could just see that heaviness and and sadness that people would feel. And I imagine during COVID with international flights as well being cancelled and then reopened again, I'm sure for you that was a similar experience, that, that hope of and then being told that you couldn't go again.
1: Yeah, it's been devastating and I think one of the hardest things about it is being, you know, a third of Australians were born overseas um, and yet there's been many parts of this pandemic where it felt like I was quite alienated from this country, you know, my, my, my second home, my, my chosen home, because so many people, particularly online, which is not, you know, social media is not always the most um, empathetic place for people, who, if you would express your sorrow and grief about being separated from family, you would be met with These accusations that you wanted thousands of people to die—you know—as if there was no nuance, there was no in-between stage between open borders and 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 you know letting COVID rip. And and I think that's been the most difficult thing: is this the lack of acknowledgement that that people have been living with this constant um, anxiety, grief, separation. Mm -hmm. And of course, we understand that you know that it's it is. It's possible to appreciate your good fortune while at the same time living with the very real grief that part of you is missing. And I think, in some ways, that is the migrant experience you know, your heart forever torn between two countries. It's this longing for home when you're already home. Um, and during the pandemic, I find that, as some of you callers have said, that they FaceTime, which used to sustain me in talking to my parents and my, my brother and his family in Singapore I and mean, FaceTime, it suddenly became this sort of cruel and hollow imitation of intimacy where I just felt this skin hunger to hug my mum and dad even more acutely. So mm. sometimes the digital space can make that longing more
0: intense. And Joe, can I just quickly ask, we were talking earlier, Rochelle and I, about places like Scotland and Ireland and everyone that we know that is from there seems to have this amazing connection to the land and family there. Can you explain that to us? Yes. I, I guess yeah, over here. I
1: mean, if anyone looks at my Instagram and I did a, a video of uh, my mum and uh, uh, re- the reunion in the airport, which is very love actually. You know, and I was listening to these Scottish songs as I was flying into Edinburgh and the snow on the hills and, and I just was just weeping and... Again, like, I, we, Mom and I drove up to the Highlands for her family reform, and I didn't grow up in the Highlands. I grew up in the city of Edinburgh, but every time I go to the Highlands, it feels like a part of my soul is grounded to the Highland soil. There's something so spiritual about it. I'm not a religious person, but there's something very spiritual about that connection and the, and the yeah. history, and I could feel my ancestors. And I think... You know, standing
3: there,
7: I got out of the car and Mum's just sort of laughing at me because so I'm weeping <laughs> the oh, no. oh, titties, yeah. at the Oh, no. Oh, my closest girlfriend is over in Scotland
3: at the moment as well, Jill. And there is that beautiful connection to music. Jill Stark, thank you so much for joining us. And we spoke about this song earlier, Eden, and this is one of the many Scottish songs. This is a little bit of Caledonia.
11: Caledonia, you're calling me And now I'm
9: If I should become a stranger, you know that it would
3: See, if that was my girlfriend right now, she would be a sobbing, <laughs> sobbing mess, just thinking of, you know, the Scottish mountains. But there is something about that Scottish homesickness in particular that's really strong.
0: Well, I'm not even Irish. And when I was over in Ireland, I heard that song play and then I understood the meaning of it. And it made me so emotional listening to it. I'm not even from there. So I can imagine, yeah, what your friend would be like, Rochelle. Oh, well, she's there now, and every time she goes, I'm like, is she actually going to
3: come back? I'm not <laughs> too sure. Let's actually end now with Lorraine, and Lorraine has called from Bensdale. Good morning, Lorraine.
7: Good morning. I was just saying that I travelled in the mid-70s, and it was a lot of homesickness, and I sent aerograms all the time to my mum about my trip, but I still didn't get much back from her. Um, but she's actually, she actually kept all my letters, so it's really nice to review them now. But whenever you could get, um, especially in London, if there was a the free phones, you'd know that they were free because there'd be a queue of Australians behind them because you could actually talk to somebody. And, um, I, I went to South America, then I went to Europe, and then I went to Israel. And in Israel, my mother actually managed to track me down on the kibbutz to phone me to say how much she was missing me, and I was missing her, but I wanted to keep traveling. Um, But it was interesting that, you know, in 1976 to actually be able, for this elderly lady to be able to find
3: Israel and find me. And that's the thing, it's the parents and those at home that miss us as well. Eden, a couple of lovely texts here. My child suffers from homesickness when he goes on camp. It breaks my heart each year. And another, just dropped my son off to boarding school yesterday for his first time. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. He's homesick. I'm homesick for him. I'm keeping busy by putting my hands
0: in the garden. Just quickly, Michelle, how did you go with uh, your daughter being away for the first time? Did you struggle with that? She's only had sleepovers, like, at friends' places
3: for for one night. She hasn't gone on school camp yet, but let's just say I will be a (laughs) blabbering mess. (laughs) At first I'll be like, yay, I've got some free time. I can go to the toilet in peace, but then I will be a mess. Even when she has sleepovers, I walk around the house and my husband and I are like, I miss her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I'm sure I'll I'm sure be a mess. Well, Eden, we said at the beginning of the program that homesickness was once, you know, many, many years ago, over 100 years ago, was labelled as an illness, you know, as an actual sickness. And I 100% today, after speaking with people, believe
0: that it still should be. People really suffer, don't they? They do. And, I mean, from students to FIFO workers, and like you said, the difference back in the day when they would say nostalgia would kill soldiers it's just heartbreaking to hear but these things still happen and maybe these days with mental health rochelle that we don't take notice on what effect it really does have on people yeah but some of the solutions have been incredible other than the obvious of going home
3: from eating together to getting your hands dirty and planting something really tangible and just finding a way to connect. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can subscribe to the Conversation Hour podcast. Just go to the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.